In a 2,500-year-old writing, Sun Tzu, Chinese warrior, wrote this. Divide, I'm paraphrasing, divide and conquer. It's one of the critical uh, tactics for defeating your enemy, whoever your enemy is, whether it's in the battlefield or in the business world or uh, on the soccer field. Divide and conquer. And that concept has been used throughout history. And everybody inherently knows that division kills. Division destroys. Maybe the most famous use of that, apart from Jesus, who verified that it is in fact true (laughs) eternally, right? When he said in Matthew 12 and Mark 3 that uh, a house divided against itself cannot cannot stand, Uh, a kingdom uh, that is divided, it, it will come to ruin. Jesus affirmed that very reality. Then maybe the most, one of the most famous uses of it was Abraham Lincoln. When he was talking about the division of this nation over the issue of slavery, said a house divided cannot stand. Division is the oldest trick in the book, literally. It is the most effective tactic for disrupting, derailing, and destroying anything. Not the least of which are the partnerships that we form as a Christian church to do what God has called us to do. Division kills. It is uh, among the the deeply troubling, tragic realities of the injustice out of uh, Minneapolis uh, comes the troubling reality of the church divided in the midst of the tragedy. We've been talking about the critical role of partnerships in God's design. The critical role of partnerships in following Jesus, in obeying Jesus, in accomplishing God's purposes as the church. And this week we want to talk about how partnerships must stay together somehow. We've already talked about where partnerships need to go. We've talked about how partnerships need to be. And this week, we need to talk about how partnerships need to stay together somehow. What partnerships are we talking about? Well, we're talking about really every Christian relationship that there is. Friendships, marriages, ministry teams, life groups, local churches, Uh, uh, relationships with our brothers and sisters across every aisle, across every racial divide, across every ethnicity, all of our partnerships are critical and they must remain unified. We must remain unified. If we don't, if our partnerships divide, if our relationships collapse, we lose our testimony. We lose our confidence. We lose our capability completely. Darkness wants to divide. And if if darkness divides the people of God, darkness wins. The people of God divided are disabled. We've got to stay together. Listen to Jesus. In uh, In the face of devastating rejection, imminent banishment by death, right, crucifixion, here's what he says. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. 
Jesus says, as I have loved you, you must love one another. And if you love one another like I have loved you, then everyone will know that you are my disciples. The world will find their way back to God if the church loves one another as Jesus loved them. Here's here's why I say that. What What defined Jesus' love? What was Jesus' love all about? We know it wasn't romantic, right? That's not what, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying romance one another. And it was far more than just friendship. Jesus' love was really all about the personal sacrifice necessary to ensure reconciliation. Listen to how Paul puts this to, a, to the church in Rome. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all. You see where Paul's going here. He's just naming everything he can possibly name. There's, there's nothing left. No death, no life, no angel, no, no demon, no future, no power. Nothing in, and then he just says, okay, nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus. Jesus makes it possible that we are no longer separated from God. That's the nature of Jesus' love. So when Jesus says, love like I do, what he's saying is, demonstrate your commitment to die in the gap that otherwise separates To die in the gap that otherwise separates. That's not what we tend to do. In this world, we've been taught to square off and make the other guy die so that the other side can be unified. Each side is trying to get everybody to come to their side. And if you don't come to my side, then I shoot you. You don't come to my side, then I, I cast you out. And Jesus says, The Christians, the church, is supposed to die in the gap to bring two groups together. He said, that's how I want you to love. I'm not asking you to win on my behalf. I'm asking you to do what's necessary in your life. Give up whatever you have to give up to die in the gap that separates. Jesus is saying to us then, True love is demonstrated most clearly by how you let nothing divide you. Nothing. The church then, Christianity, you could say, is validated by unity. It's validated by unity. The flip side of that is pretty harsh. Christianity is validated by unity. It is exposed as a lie by division. When we allow ourselves to be divided, everything comes off. All the wheels come off. Everything comes off. We are no longer capable of the kind of love that Jesus calls us to. We become hypocrites. And this is precisely what the Apostle Paul got so hot about so often in the first century when he was trying to Uh, facilitate the growth of the church. 
Check this out in Acts chapter 15. All right, so, so uh, Jesus has died. He was resurrected. Uh, he uh, buried, resurrected, uh, ascended into heaven, sends the Spirit. The Spirit inhabits the church, and the church is scattered because of violence. And now Paul is out there beyond the bounds of where the Jews would typically go and taking this message of Jesus to all the world where the Jews understood themselves to be the people of God, Jesus reminded that God is after all people. And Paul is on it. And he gets really upset, really upset. Anytime anybody tries to divide the church, listen. So they're out there. Way out there. They're in Antioch. You know, they're, 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 they're on the northern side of the, uh, of the Mediterranean now, away from home on the, uh, you know, the east side. And certain people came down from Jerusalem, Judea, to Antioch, this eclectic mix of mostly non-Jews and Jews that are starting to form into different churches. And here's some people come from Jerusalem around to this more Gentile than Jew church. And they say, unless you are, unless you, and I'm going to just, <laughs> I'm not afraid to say the word circumcised, but I want you to understand what he means here. Unless you accept the mark of a Jew, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So the Jews are saying to the people at Antioch, you've got to do Jewish things to become unified as the people of God. And as you might suspect, this brought Paul and Barnabas, who were partnered together, into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go back to Jerusalem and talk to all the elders and the apostles who were sending these instructions down. The church sends them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. They're talking about how the Gentiles are now in the family of God with the Jews. <laughs> and this made all the believers very glad. They want to be the people of God. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. Paul and Barnabas were welcomed, to whom they reported everything God had done. They're telling them, look, you can't believe what God is doing out there. People are getting converted. Non-Jews are coming to faith in, this, in, in Jesus and, and joining the family of God. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, sort of the long-standing leaders of the Jewish world who had become Christians, said, yes, again, but the Gentiles have to take this Jewish mark and they have to keep the law. And they started to debate this issue. After much discussion, Peter got up. Now, Peter would have been among those in Jerusalem. And he says, brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel. This is a great story of Peter, how he came to be chosen to spread the good news along with Paul, really, to the Gentiles. He was chosen as, as the one to realize that this goes beyond the Jews. And he's reminding of them of that. And he's reminding of how that was affirmed. And he says, look, God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them, the non-Jews, by giving the Holy Spirit to them. 
just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them. He did not divide us up. He purified their hearts by faith. Peter's saying, look, we are no longer purified by the mark we take. We're no longer purified by the rules that we follow. We are now purified. We are now made part of God's eternal family. We're now secure in our eternity. We are now forgiven and sanctified and purified and made right in God's eyes. We have divine approval by faith alone. That's it. And he says, so why do you try to test God? By putting on their necks of the Gentiles a yoke that either we or our ancestors have been able to bear. This never worked in the first place. Why are you putting that on them? He's saying, look, right now, he says, no, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Peter is saying, hey, we got to remember, there's only one thing at the center of of following Jesus. There's only one thing at the center of Christianity. There's only one thing that unifies us, and that is Jesus and the faith that we put in him alone. The cornerstone of Christianity is Jesus. Christ crucified and raised to new life. The doorway to new life is Jesus. The doorway to eternal life is Jesus. The final scapegoat, the final sacrifice for sin of all people is Jesus. The singular defining characteristic of Jesus' way is Jesus. And our faith alone in him is the unifying characteristic of the church. Now you look around in this world and you see more churches, styles of churches, theologies of churches, music of churches, buildings of churches. You, you, <laughs> the diversity of types and styles and ways of church is enormous. And that's fine. Unless you cause it to be a dividing thing. Unless one of those expressions of Jesus says, no, we're right. Because of this stuff. The church that peppers the surface of this world, the true Christian church is unified. It is one because of Jesus. What we see happening in the first church is what has happened ever since then. As God continues to spread the kingdom through the belief of people coming to Christ, in this case, the non-Jews, the ruling, leading Jews, they, they try to move the cheese, you know? They, they, they try to take what's supposed to be at the center and they push it and put something else in there. They were saying, in order to be united, in order to be one, we've got to do this thing, that traditional thing, this accepted thing. But Paul and Peter hold the line. They say, no, this destroys the church. Only one thing from now on until forever 
can be the unifying element of the church, of God's people, and it is Jesus. There is no substitute, and nothing can be added. Nothing can be added. Do you see how if you add something to Jesus as the only unifying piece, suddenly you have division? Paul says much later to a church in Corinth, because it, hap- it, just, it, just, it just always happens. We start squaring off. We start finding our little niche. We, we start uh, de- deciding what's right and what's wrong. And we start judging others and condemning. And we say, we've got it right and you don't. Our way is better. Your way is antiquated. It happened in the first 20 years of the church, of Jesus. He says to the Corinthians, I appeal to you. Brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. You know how crazy that thought is? These are Jews and non-Jews, and the non-Jews were as different as Jews were from non-Jews. I mean, the differences in people in these early churches is crazy to think about. There is almost no way they could possibly get along. And he says, be perfectly united. Does that mean that they all were exactly the same kinds of people, believed the exact same kinds of things, were practicing the same kinds of stuff? It can't mean that. It can only mean that they stay locked and loaded, and no matter how different we are, we are one because of Jesus. That's the only thing he could possibly mean. Perfectly united. My brothers and sisters, Paul goes on, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. One of you says, I follow Paul. The other says, I follow Apollos. And then there's like a whole bunch of verses I'm not even including, which is just more of that. I follow this guy. I follow the guy. They're all kind of getting wrapped up in like one person and their teaching. Have you ever seen any of that? Go on, right? It's like, and and then he say, look, it's not about who these people are that are teaching He said, Christ did not send me to baptize. Who cares who I baptized? He says, I wish I didn't baptize any of you. Or I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you because you can't get me mixed up in that whole thing. He says, I came to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence. You see what he's saying right there? Look, who has the biggest crowd? Who has the biggest crowd? Of all the saying, we follow this guy, we follow this guy. It's always the most dynamic, eloquent speaker. It's always been that way. It's still that way. He said, it's not about that. If it comes about that, he says, the cross of Christ is emptied of its power. When we allow anything to divide us, we set aside the love of Christ who died in the gap to reconcile us to God. And he says, love like I love you. Stop dividing. Die in the gap. Fall on your sword. Because darkness is trying to divide the church. And when anything is divided, it ends up destroyed. No house that's divided can stand. The love of Christ is the, is the Christian lifeblood of the church. But it's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy. You can't just say, okay, so we won't divide. It's a super slippery slope. Peter, who made the case 
for the unity of the Gentile church and the Jewish church through faith alone falls apart. <laughs> and Paul catches him. This is the way Paul puts it. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't mince any words either. He says, when, when Caiaphas came, that's Peter to Antioch. When Peter finally came to Antioch, so Paul's back out there and Peter comes, I opposed him to his face <laughs> because he stood condemned. Those are powerful words. Why would Paul be so strong with Peter? Why would he say that Peter should be damned? Why would he say that? Because what you're going to discover is Peter was dividing the church and there is nothing worse in the church. Nothing. He says, before certain men from James, which essentially is from the leaders of Jerusalem, he used to eat with the Gentiles. So, so Paul, Peter's out here in Gentile world, in the Antioch world, and he's eating with the Gentiles, which Jews never did because it was impure. But now it's okay because the only thing that makes us right is faith in Jesus. It doesn't matter what you eat anymore. So Peter is actually doing right. He is eating with the Gentiles. It's a very good message. It's a powerful message. For the Gentiles to see a Jew eating with them is mind-blowing. For a Jew to see a Jew eating with a Gentile is mind-blowing. But it forces the issue that it's not about the food. Here's the problem. When the people from Jerusalem showed up, Peter backed up. He's like, no, I'm not eating with the Gentiles. It's like he, he walked away from the truth. And instead of dying in the gap... He was worried about which side was going to choose him. He was mostly concerned about the Jews choosing him again. And Paul, Paul says, wrong, wrong. You're annihilating the gospel, Peter. You just told everybody in the room it's about the food. Wrong. Peter was allowing pork to divide them. When he knows full well the only thing that unifies the church is Christ and faith in him. Listen, Christians, Christians, you cannot allow music styles, buildings, viruses, masks, theology, politics, viewpoints, outreach techniques, agendas, Geography, ethnicity, race, nothing can divide us. The people of God divided are completely disabled. Their testimony is lost. The power of the cross is gone. We have to stay together. No matter what. So don't divide. It's easy. Just do that. Why do we divide? Why don't we just stay right there? Why don't we just go, okay, yeah, Jesus is the cornerstone. That's what unifies us. All these differences don't matter. Why don't we just stay there? Because differences scare us. When we see somebody different than us, it worries us. When we see somebody that has something that we don't have or doesn't have what we have, 
When we see someone bigger than us, faster than us, we get worried that they're going to change my reality. The reality that I've worked so hard to get in my grasp and in my control, we're afraid somebody's going to take it. People that are the same as me, as exact same as we can possibly get, they don't pose a threat because they get it. They're like me. But that person over there, I start to judge their heart. I start to be afraid of them. Listen to what the Apostle John said decades into his walk with Christ. Like he's in his 60s when he writes this. Probably in his late teens when he started following Jesus. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. That's it. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God. God lives in him. You see what he's saying? He's like, look, it's just, he's, this is it. Jesus. This is how love is made complete among us. This is how love is made complete. This is how we have confidence until the day of judgment. In this world, we're like Jesus. What's he doing? He's saying the same thing we read earlier. Jesus said, you must love one another like I loved you. In this world, we're like Jesus. In what way? We die in the gap. We die in the gap to bring unity. We let nothing divide us. No matter how irrational they might be. No matter how much I don't understand who they are. No matter how much I want to hold on to my stuff. No matter what I think, what I believe, what I feel in my gut. I will never, ever, ever allow us to be divided over anything other than Jesus. And John finishes this way. There is no fear in love. Think about this. There is fear when you're on this side of the line and they're on that side of the line. How is it there's no fear in love? Because when there's love, you're not hanging on to what you have. You're willing to lay aside all that you have to fall in that gap to keep it unified. That's why there's no fear because you're not trying to hang on to anything anymore. Not even your life. You lay down your life to bring unity. There's no fear in that because you give it all up before you even lay it down. We don't stay unified because we're afraid. Where there is fear, love is lost. Where love is lost, division is sure to follow. You're afraid to lose control? You're not going to love. You're afraid of being hurt? You're not going to love. You're afraid of your safety for your safety? You're not going to love. You're afraid of the pain? You're not going to love. You're afraid of rejection? You're not going to love. If you stay in the fearful place rather than the faithful place of love, you're going to divide. You're going to step away. That's what happens. You feel like you're gonna, that person's going to take your control away? You step away from them. You're afraid that person's going to hurt you? You step away from them. I'm going to give you three quick ways to eliminate fear in your life. The first one is to exercise faith. That is to trust the one who is in control. 
God. Right? The fear is rooted in the loss of control. The only way to get around that is not to try to get more control. It's to trust the one who is in control. That the end of your life and all that you have and all that happens between now and then is in his control. Be free of the fear of when it's all going to end or when it's going to go away. Trust the sovereign God of the universe with your life. Put your faith in him and you will begin to eliminate fear. Take a risk. The idea of a risk always sounds good. Sounds cool. Sounds like it could bring a reward <laughs> if I could pull this off. Why don't we take more risks? Because the risk that we need to take requires faith. And the faith we have is actually fairly small. And the fear is great. So most of our risks are actually kind of small. Actually kind of embarrassing. <laughs> we fear that they're going to be insufficient or wrong. So we don't move. Because we can't take some big risk with a great return on investment. Somebody pretty smart said, whatever you, could, whatever you wish you could do for many, just do it for one. Just say you're sorry to one person. Just put your arm around one guy. Just bite your tongue in the, in the face of what one person says, right? And finally, just do the same thing we've been telling you to do for the last 10 years. Practice the Bless 10 model. Begin by praying for people that threaten you. Pray for those who cons that concern you, that, 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 that cause you to be a little fearful. Pray for people that you don't understand. Love your enemy. Go one step further. Listen to them. Really, truly listen to them. You do that, you're going to find ways to serve them. You're going to find ways to talk about the unifying beauty of Jesus. Begin with prayer. Begin with a simple relationship. Start to listen, really listen, and then serve. Wow. How does this apply to everything that's going on around us right now? I'm not talking about the pandemic. Isn't it crazy how that's taken a back seat? And, and it, well, it should. The unrest and the troubled nature and the challenge on the heels of the injustice in Minnesota, the death of George Floyd. It's not really that complicated. You know what we do? We stand together with the brokenhearted, whoever they are. And we stand against any kind of injustice. We stand with the broken heart in the gap. We stand in the gap against any kind of injustice. We don't allow race Theology, politics, viewpoints, agendas, geography, all those things I mentioned before, nothing of that should impede our compassion. None of that should impede any kind of action. And we stand together humbly and learn.
We lean into whatever diversity we have in our life, no matter how small or how great or how deep or how shallow, we lean into it and we listen and we assume that there's a lot I don't know, a lot I don't understand. We assume that I have blind spots. I die in that gap. I die to myself. We learn to be more aware. We learn to be more empathetic. And we learn how to take action. Our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we do everything we can to stay unified. It is within your grasp. It is in, within your hands, Christian. To stay unified. Not just with the community of black brothers and sisters that are believers along with us, but in so many other areas of life, it is within your grasp to stay unified in Christ. Let's go. Let's go.